Welcome to the Jack Podcast, where real men are allowed to cry. looking into my eyes, looking into your eyes. Yeah, this is yeah. an impromptu podcast, but I am fortunate. This is Frank Lewandowski. I'm the nurse practitioner. I'm one of the hosts of Just a Couple Dudes podcast, and I'm lucky to have Mark Coleman here. We are, this is prior to the podcast studio that's going to be upstairs, and there's going to be a little bit more space so we have a little bit more social distancing. I like course. being this close to you. But I, yeah, we're both asymptomatic. Yeah. We're both healthcare workers. And today's episode is actually going to be about post-traumatic stress disorder in healthcare, which is both personal, professional, and I think it's going to be an amazing episode. I agree. Yeah, I am just, ex- I'm ecstatic. I'm stoked, man. Yeah. I didn't is, see this coming. Yeah, I didn't either. Not this morning. Not, not this morning. I didn't know I'd be drinking coffee out of yeah. this, this fresh Oh, mug. yeah. These, these uh, mugs are coming to mm. the store very soon. So very excited. Mm. It makes coffee taste better. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, isn't it? It's got like, just the right amount of dude in it. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, let's just go over where you can reach us. So the Just a Couple Dudes podcast again. J A K D is on Instagram, Facebook. We are on Twitter now. We have a YouTube channel. Please uh, subscribe. Just a couple dudes with a K. Um, we have big things coming your way. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to be released, but again, most of these topics are not time sensitive, so that we can release it and it's still pertinent no matter what. Um, big things are happening and I am so fortunate to have Mark on who is also our good man segment. Oh gosh. So, and I'm going to describe him. So Mark Coleman is first of all, a good husband, a good father, right? He has uh, one kiddo, a three-year-old, a little bit of a terror, a little bit of a stud, right? He, he happens to like peeing in the room right now. That's what he's into. (laughs) Taking off his diaper to pee on carpet. It is cute (laughs) at this age, but at 10, it's not going to be cute that we talked about earlier. He is a pseudonym writer pseudonymous writer pseudonymous writer, writer with pseudonym yeah and why do you choose to do that because otherwise things i write could be construed as hipaa violations oh yeah. you know what that that would be a good topic too we, um, yeah we have our tongues tied by hipaa oh gosh and so we can't relate a lot of our experiences mm. especially in a written form that'll exist forever oh. um in association with ourselves um, by threat of you know lawsuit and possible loss of license Gosh, that is Isn't scary and up? sad because a lot of our intentions are really good. And then we have the, we always are talking about how we avoid litigation as, yeah. as healthcare workers That's since it. day one. And it's like, I'd rather just be an accountant sometimes because yeah. then yeah. I don't have to like a CPA. I wish I was just a For CPA. me, electrician. If I could go oh yeah, a uh, pilot. <laughs> but as long as I didn't drink and fly, I'd probably be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he's got a book coming out. He's got what, 34 chapters? Yeah, 34 chapters. And what is it? Do you know the title? I haven't made a title. Okay, yet. so we're finding out. Yeah. Again, what is the book about? It's about um, my actual experiences as a as a nurse in the ICU and various other settings. So assisted living dementia facilities, skilled mm. nursing facilities. And a lot of it has to do with um very uh ethically um very ethically abysmal. Um, situations that we have, we encounter quite a bit in these sad situations with chronically ill patients. Yeah, I um I think it's really good that we're starting to have more of a nursing perspective. The reason is, is I'm a nurse practitioner. Mark is in nurse practitioner school. Will be an amazing NP, uh, one of the smartest nurses I've ever met, uh, and then is also a nurse too. So our experiences are more intimate and more long-term. The physician, which is definitely the leader in healthcare, I would say, especially in the main media 
really gets five to 10 minutes with the patient because their, their job is to manage the care, not to manage the patient. Uh, the nurse is the one that holds their hand when they're dying, that uh, notifies the physician when something's wrong, and the nurse is more involved in that intimate situation. Um, I've had to hug families right after the death of a patient because I got yeah. to know that patient over two weeks. Yeah. And I felt like I needed to cry because I, they became part of my family. And I didn't even try to do that. But when you're with them 12 hours a day for two weeks, you know, that's six shifts or more. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to avoid the emotional connection you get. You, you'll spend more time with them than your own family members in a lot of cases. Yeah. That's, a, that's a strange realization to have that you, you become more intimately connected, even, even in terms of, you know, sometimes I would push a button or if I didn't push a button, that person would die. Talk about intimacy and a connection with another human being. I mean, that, that is, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a whole new level of uh, understanding and appreciation for a total stranger. And I, I knew Mark, so I was an emergency room nurse at one of the hospitals, and I was fortunate enough to bring a lot of very critical patients to Mark. And a lot of times when you go to the ICU, uh, what's a struggle is a lot of the ICU nurses are very um, detail-oriented. It's a different personality in that area. In the emergency room, we are there to treat and move. Yeah. Uh, it is about volume. It is about speed. It is not about the details. It's what you need to know to stabilize them and move them. That's what the ER does. It does a very good job of that most mm -hmm. of the time. The ICU is what saves lives. They're the ones that manage the physiology of the body. It, it's unbelievable. Um, but because of that, you have these personalities that clash, okay? And Mark, which I'm very fortunate, he's one of the smartest nurses I've ever met. He's, he's extremely smart, like smarter science-wise than I am, okay? Um, but what was nice about Mark when I gave report is he was always caring. He was always loving. He was always fun. So if I knew I got him on the phone, he'd be like, hey, I got this patient. They're sick. I haven't had time to, uh, you know, get everything done that, you know, we have all these checklists and stuff, oh, right? Yeah. All these orders. Lactic acids usually. That's yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, the fluids aren't running exactly right. Oh, okay. Did, did you do Your a skin check? Did you do a skin check? No, they, they, we just saved their life. Like I didn't check their back. They, they, their heart's working now. We just worked them for 30 minutes yeah. to bring them back to life. I don't, I don't think they got a pressure ulcer. I, I did not check their pedal pulse uh, on their feet as yeah. I was going up to the ICU. Yeah. You know, and I, I get these old ICU nurses or even young ones uh, that yeah. act like they know everything. And I go, hey, lady stay in your lane or hey hey guy stay in your lane right like it's okay relax you don't know what every area has their own struggle okay i think in the nurses that are in different areas i have a i was a psychiatric nurse i was a med surge nurse tele nurse emergency room icu i did light rotation where i also was uh, met with mark more often um and then i did i was a registry so i jumped around different hospitals every hospital is a little different different population i think the best nurses and healthcare workers are the ones that can jump around Oh yeah. 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 And I found them and, you know, in, in my own experience, the, the best ones are really the ones that are, um, that are work focused or specifically, um, more like uh, task focused in nature. So when, when I would be getting report from you say, you know, they didn't have their, their lactic acid measured for like a septic patient, um, and you know, in the last three hours and it's coming up, I would just say, well, that's fine. Send them up. I'm going to get that lactic acid because I'm task oriented. I want to get the job done. And it doesn't matter what barriers you have on your end. This job needs to get done either way. Mm -hmm. Us arguing about it isn't going to get it done. It, it doesn't help. And Never. there's there's a huge it's problem a waste of time. with uh, bullying in the nursing field. Yeah. I got bullied a lot. Mm -hmm. I was a nurse at 26. 
So I've been in the field, I'm 31 now. I don't get bullied anymore because it's not okay to do that. Uh, there's bullying in the physician field and the whole, entire healthcare. It's very weird, uh, very catty, yeah, uh, clicky. Uh, it's a lot of talking behind each other's backs. Oh God, the passive oh. nurses. Oh yeah. Oh, they're your man. friends in your face. Oh, and, and then, then you hear you're like, and what? Then, and then you're talking to your manager. <laughs> you're like, what happened? What happened? <laughs> I'm like, I thought they liked me. They hugged me and said they liked me. Yeah, but no, they talk shit behind your back. Um, so we are talking about post-traumatic stress disorder specifically to healthcare, and that is the the dirty little secret. Yeah, we don't talk about it. That we don't talk about. And I can tell you, I personally had post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it was, it, it doesn't matter. I, I, I've talked about it in multiple episodes. I'm a big advocate for it, is that there's methods now and interventions, non-pharmacological that can actually heal trauma. Oh, yes. uh, trauma is like a deep wound on your, on your body or your soul, I guess, your emotion, your brain. And a lot of us just use band-aids and different methods, but you can't fix a diabetic ulcer without fixing diabetes, right? You have to give, you have to heal the wound from the root. And I didn't realize that it took me, I went through a lot, uh, you know, bullying, uh, I've almost died four times. Uh, I've had severe, you know, emotional abuse and things like that and, and emotional trauma. And I'm not a victim, but all I'm saying is, is that there is hope for people. There is. And when healthcare workers aren't healthy, it's hard to provide the best care. Yeah. So it probably be smart for us to start with like what, what we personally experienced in terms of PTSD mm -hmm. symptoms. So you guys all you understand. Let me start first. Yeah. You, if so, you want to go first, you go first. So PTSD, what I, again, I see these terms and I don't use it lightly. Um, you know, PTSD was actually the root cause, but I thought it was depression or anxiety or OCD or ADHD. I mean, I had all this stuff, you know, I had suicidal ideation, never tried to take my life, but actually suicidal ideation is actually fairly common. Uh, that's another thing that needs to be talked about. You know, if you're suffering emotionally, it's actually fairly normal to uh, think, well, what if I wasn't here? Right. And that's, that's actually a normal thought that needs to be um, dispelled as a myth. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and not, and people can't be judged for that. Um, I had cognitive decline. So basically how it would go is I had PTSD or trauma, however, however you want to look at it. Either way, start at, I was severely bullied in fourth grade uh, for multiple years. Uh, and then I had a car accident, which in just one day, um, I almost died. I fell out of a truck. I was flown out by a hospital. I was in so much pain. I just remember begging God that please kill me. Um, so if you talk about 10 out of 10 pain, I, I think that's that it. Qualify. That's, that's it. I wasn't screaming. Um, I fell out of a moving vehicle going 40 miles an hour and fell under the right rear tire and was run over my pelvis. Um, I broke my pelvis in three spots, my pubic symphysis, uh, my iliac crest all the way through and my sacrum across the top, my collarbone as well, which is where it's right here. At what age? I was 16. Uh, at the time, my parents were fighting uh, for five years. Uh, my world was already falling apart because it was a very toxic uh, relationship where my mom and dad were at each other's throats, constantly fighting. I think one day a month was a good day. Uh, that was a good month was one day a month. Uh, so the emotional toll at that age at 16 was, was, was brutal. And uh, that's where PTSD, I think, started with some of the root. Uh, I had family issues and, and things like that. I don't need to get too detailed, but basically as I got older, the wound in me, my post-traumatic stress disorder got worse and worse. And I used to think, you know, what physical interventions can, can heal, 
you know, I've tried every supplement in the world. I've tried everything. I've done hormones. I've done everything in the world. And one of the biggest reasons I'm such a healthcare advocate is because I wanted to heal myself. And because I was trying to find an answer, I've, you know, I've done Zoloft, I've done all this stuff. And, and like, no one knew it was trauma. And I didn't know that. And I got lucky um, that someone suggested EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And I did that in the last four months. And I'm finally living life free. Uh, I was able to rewire these traumas and the PTSD only got worse as I got older. So it started at 16. It peaked when I was 20 in the military. I had a really traumatic experience in the military as well. My dad almost died. My grandma, my aunt died uh, within a day of each other. They were actually at a funeral um, side by side casket, mom and sister. Like how sad is that? My, my aunt was 49 or 40, really young, not even 50. And my grandma was 70. Um, so I had that. Then 10 days later, I left for boot camp. Boot camp was very hard. Uh, it was a lot harder than I thought I was going to be in there for. So like it was very mentally straining and stressful. Because what triggers PTSD is stress, right? So sure. I kept putting myself in stressful situations, which triggered it. So then uh, after I got through um, boot camp, which was eight weeks, my dad told me his P PSA went up. Oh. So his PSA level, pro uh -oh. uh, prostate-specific antigen, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, then, that's process. Yeah, no, so prostate I, cancer his, his dad ended up dying of prostate cancer at 72 in 98. And I love my grandpa. I didn't, I was nine and uh, his PSA went up. My dad was only 47 and he had uh, a week later, I found out he had prostate cancer. Oh, yeah. So I, my dad always said bad things come in threes. So I, my dad's my Superman and I felt like he had kryptonite with him and it just, it just rattled me. Uh, I couldn't get out of bed. I had to because I was in the military. I didn't know what was going on. I was 20. And it um, on the weekends, I would sleep till 1 p.m. Uh, I could barely eat. Um, I thought about chugging a bottle of ibuprofen uh, so I could go home and be with my dad. Um, I didn't know what to say to my family because I... I wanted to be stoic. I wanted to be strong. I didn't know that was depression, but really it was just PTSD. Um, the military does not support you uh, for having counseling. This was in 2010. Uh, during that time, we still had don't ask, don't tell. Uh, it was a much different military than it is now. Uh, you also have stigma if you talk about mental health in the military. Um, I got in trouble too. Uh, so it was just uh, a freaking, sorry, I'm talking about a lot. Okay. Talking, yeah, yeah so, so basically um, I then had uh, I got in trouble because a bunch of us over or underage drank. My dad started getting better. He was going to have surgery. He going to be okay. I had some hope again. And then um, we underage drank because I was 20 and a half. We went to an apartment just off base. And at the time, there was a bunch of DUIs and issues on base. There was like 3,000 airmen, which is like basically a college, but they try to bottle you up so you all act out. We were all like 18 to 22. So if you can imagine, <laughs> it's like putting – Hijinks. Uh, yeah, it's like putting stri uh, structure – too much structure on ASU, yeah. which causes people to go crazy. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you know, the military owns you. People don't understand that, right? Um, so then I went to an apartment off base, we drank. I went back to my room, we were fine. One of the guys that next morning uh, got a DUI at the gate, like an idiot, right? He blew a whatever, a DUI at the gate coming in for a formation on the weekend, just, just to stand there. And he ratted on us, which again was pretty big anti-military code. So then um, I was, I believed in the values, you know, integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do, it's Air Force stuff. And I was 20 and uh, he ratted on all us being there. We all got article 15s, which is just below non-judicial uh, punishment. Um, for the next month and a half, while my dad was having prostate cancer surgery and having his prostate removed, and I didn't know if he was gonna live, even though it was a little exaggeration. 
Um, I had little support. Uh, we were bullied. We were made uh, a mockery. We had to get a lawyer. They took half my pay for two months. They took my stripes. They, um, I had a guy tell me and he threatened me. He said, hey man, our whole squadron had to lock down. Uh, he said, I just had a newborn and my wife, uh, my wife can't come see me. He, and my newborn was just born and he hasn't seen him in like three months. And I was like, God, I'm like worried to get beat up. Yeah. Like, because it was just wrong place, wrong time. We actually were in a theater of 500 people and there was only six of us in blues. So you had all these people in regular military uh, camo, you know, uniform, right? And I was in the dress blues. So this Colonel was on stage and he was talking crap to everybody saying, you know, we were basically the scapegoats. Um, and they, um, it was so hard, dude. Uh, and I didn't, I wasn't able to talk to anybody about it. And I was like, this is what the military was. And all we did was go to an apartment off base and underage drink, which average American does it all the time. And um, we stood up because he pointed us out and we had 500 people like be angry at us. During school, they made us stand out in the hallway for eight hours and just read like in formation. They, they then, um, this is what they don't talk about with the military, right? Is the power when you lose your civil rights. Uh, they then made us have extra duty. So I had to work an extra 24 hours one weekend, work overnight uh, and, and man the squadron after I already worked a 60 to 70 hour a week. I then had to go on the weekends and march two miles to the front of the gate when it was 10 degrees out and hold signs that said, don't drink and drive as people were laughing and throwing snow at us. So if you can imagine, and I haven't actually brought that story up in a long time, you can imagine some of these traumatic instances where I didn't even know what I was going through. And I called this trauma, depression, anxiety, OCD, panic attacks, et cetera. But anytime I got triggered was a stressful incident, which me, I have to challenge myself. It's my, it's my DNA. And with that, with challenge, you're gonna get stressed. So it got worse and worse and worse. And I've tried everything in the world and like I've had more, I had another car accident later and blah, blah, blah. But what would happen is, is I would actually have cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. So I'm a very smart person. Uh, I'm lucky. I don't say that lightly. Like it's just my brain runs fast and I would, I could not think I couldn't remember what medicines I had to get. I couldn't sleep. Um, it was just so hard with PTSD. And the thing that healed it was the eye movement desensitization reprocessing. And then adding hypnosis recently also rewired the bullying incident I had, which I'll talk about in another episode. But does that summarize good PTSD? That's about it. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty good explanation yeah. of where you came from. Um, a traditional definition um, of, of the actual symptoms is generally you have recurring invasive thoughts over and over. Oh, yeah. Over it was over, um, and over and over. And that's probably what you're feeling that whole time. Right? Yeah, I would have uh, invasive thoughts of really disturbing sexual thoughts, really disturbing uh, thoughts. I don't know why. I just always would feel really bad about myself. Um, I think I compensated trying to act better than I was, or I came across cocky. Now I don't. You could tell I'm a lot more laid back and I'm confident, but I'm not. My ego's in place. Uh, I, I would have invasive thoughts all the time. Uh, I suffered for I didn't even know I was suffering. I just thought that was life. That's the thing. I just thought that's the way life was like other people thought or experienced life. You wonder why I'm so happy now because I don't have invasive thoughts. I, I just wake up and I wake up, I go to bed and I go to bed. Like Mark, the only time my invasive thoughts wouldn't be there is maybe when I slept. Wow. Yeah. And so I didn't even realize, I guess it's the severity of my PTSD. Um, I just try to tell my story so other people have 
you know, I'm a veteran and, and we're in healthcare, which is a huge area too, first responders. I mean, PTSD is, it's probably overdiagnosed sometimes, but it's also underdiagnosed. Like it's something that is rampant in society. Okay. It's something that is hush hush uh, and why we're bringing it up for healthcare. Um, but yeah, man, the invasive thoughts were exhausting, dude. Was, oh yeah, that's the worst part. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, so the invasive thoughts, you know, they just pop into your head. And even when you say, I don't want to think this anymore, they still will recur. And a lot of times PTSDs, um, when you're having an acute episode, you're having a, the recurrence of this invasive thought over and over and over again. Um, in my own experience, sometimes it was up to like 20 times a minute. I'd be that, that much? I'd be consciously wow. seeing an image. Oh my um, God. Yeah. See, like I didn't. A liver failure patient writhing in bed. Oh my experience. God. So, yeah, there's a. Uh, when did your PTSD start? Do you want, do you want to share? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, let's see. I think in 2012, I got my um, nursing aid and EMT um, certifications and licensures. And I started working at Banner University Medical Center. So, good Sam? Yeah, good Sam. Okay. So, I was there in the liver kidney transplant specialty care unit. Oh, and uh, yeah, and so relatively no medical exposure prior other than volunteering at St. Joseph's and, you know, um, clinicals, mild clinicals for those two programs. Yeah, for and, EMT? Yeah. Yeah, what did you do, vitals? Uh, yeah, I did actually did a, <laughs> did a rotation. I was yeah. an EMT too. Yeah, yeah. like 20, it was like a 12 or 24 hour rotation through an ED. That, yeah, that was, that, that was whole course. I did vitals and walked around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, like, a, not a lot. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah. But. Um, so yeah it was oh hello sorry i'm just doing a quick snap <laughs> doing a quick snap um, so yeah i would uh, liver kidney transplant center it's, it's almost really a misnomer for what, what it actually is because what we find ourselves is it, in a situation where people do need a liver transplant but they don't qualify a lot of times that's from chronic alcoholism yeah um, and it's not always but not a lot always. of times it's very indicative so we usually ask you know, were you a drinker, maybe have yeah. hepatitis or something, but you know, you get that patient that wasn't a drinker. Yeah. And then you, you feel bad. Viral hepatitis. And it's yeah. Just, you feel it's bad. Just shit luck, really. Yeah. And you're like, damn. So a lot of these patients would end up there. And um, a lot of times the, the form of care we could provide them was to try to correct the hepatic encephalopathy. So the lack of scrubbing ammonia, um, the action that your liver performs, uh, that ammonia crosses your blood brain barrier, confuses you. And uh, the treatment for that is lactulose. <laughs> yeah, so what, how does lactulose work? It's, um, it's a hyperosmotic, which is a fancy word for it's a, it's a high concentration of, of, um, of solute in a solution. So, so the water moves with it, right? Yeah, yeah, it pulls water into your colon, basically. So it's, lactulose is a fancy word for sugar. It's just a type of sugar, and mm -hmm. it's a highly dense sugar. And that's the biggest complaint about people drinking it is it's sweet. It's too sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it goes into your colon, sucks water in there. You, sh you, you poop that out. Um, it's and that's, gross. It's gross. How many times have you had dirty hands, man? Thousands. Oh, man. Uh, you get so gross in nursing, like poop, pee. Oh, God, it is. I, I'm going to interject with one quick story. I'm yeah. a nurse at Banner University, and we were telling all of our bad exposure stories. And she's, she was very chipper about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I had one. This one time, um, a patient told me he had, he had a hemorrhoid. So I had him roll over and I was looking at it and then he farted and I got poop in my eye. Oh my God. Oh my God. Pink eye instantly. Pink eye instantly. And I'm like, I'm like, wow. Um, that is, that is funny. I had a story too. This is one of the hospitals I worked at. We can't chat out a lot of stuff, but I had a patient one time. She was uh, detoxing from meth, methamphetamine. Mm. 
And again, that's a long time to take time. And you just hope she doesn't hit you. But she's been there a long time. She's just sleeping because she's coming down. And uh, we're letting her uh, MTF, right? Metabolize the freedom. So she, she just is walking to the bathroom. I'm looking at her. She's my patient. I'm busy. And I'm across like, I don't know, I'm 20, 20 yards away. I'm looking at her, making sure she's not going to fall. And she looks fine. She just squats in the middle of the hallway and drops a deuce. She just shits in the middle of the hallway. And mind you, an ER is open. So like she just shits in the middle of the floor. And I'm just looking around and I'm just like looking at people and I go, did she just do what I think she just did? And she did that and then she kept going to the bathroom and went back to her room. And I go, I was impressed that she just didn't care. And then I just, all I grabbed, I looked at myself and I go, this is nursing. And I grabbed my gloves. I grabbed a purple wipe, a cabbie wipe and I picked it up and I go, Another day at the yeah. office. Another day at the office. Yeah. This isn't on scrubs. Like no. this isn't on Grace Anatomy. This is where this is real life yeah. in an inner city ER. Yeah. Like anyways, let's go back to where you're so at. So anyway, yeah, the, the real life component of um those experiences at that liver kidney um transplant unit was seeing people that were yellow like a banana, um, with distended, extremely distended abdomens like ascites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's ascites? This very big abdomen, it's not normal, big stomach that you can push fluid around, yeah. right? Because fluid is in the wrong space. Because the liver does over 400 plus things. So yeah. The liver is an amazing organ. Yeah, so they, they have this big distended abdomen. They're yellow like a banana and they're confused, which means a lot of times they want to pull out their own lines. And in response to that, we tie them to the bed. Yeah, and which is, which is hard, right? Because we don't want to tie them to the bed, but they're going to hurt us or they're going to hurt themselves. And then we have to document more. So as a nurse, when you have restraints, it's very highly regulated by state, which is which it should be, right? There's been some people that's been abused on for sure. But as a nurse, when you have two patients and you have to document every 15 minutes, you're spending more time in the chart than you are with the actual care, yeah, which is what sucks, right? Yeah. yeah, and that's why those assignments are supposed to be one-on-one. But yeah, I would have the, rec- my first uh, PTSD recurring thought was of that, that woman um, laying in a bed, yellow like a banana, writhing, you know, definitely uncomfortable. And it was such a strange experience too, because, you know, it was kind of like a baptism into healthcare where I thought it was so cool what I was doing, um, you know, doing patient care in a hospital and, you know, you'd gown up and put on your mask. And, and, and have you ever worked at um, Banner University? No, but I, uh, what did I do there? Oh, they I had, pots. I, yeah, no, I so had a, pods. I had clinical there. So I did pregnancy. You've seen the clinical. pods, the big OB. round pods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like a spaceship when you walk into the, old the room. room. The old yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. Old, old good Sam. Yeah, it's, they've got um, these oval windows. So it's very, it's very spaceship-esque. The HEPA filters are very loud. Um, the sound kind of travels funny because of all the curved walls. Well, it looked like an old psych hospital. Yeah. It looked like an eerie psych hospital. It's still, it's still there. Uh, they have a new building now that's way better. But. Yeah. And, you know, I'd recognize even in my psyche that um, I, I would dehumanize a lot of these people in my mind in order to try to protect myself from having to think about the reality of the situation that's going on. And the way my brain kind of did that was uh, comparing it to an alien experience, you know, like walking into a spaceship and seeing okay. so an you, alien. That's what it like was out of this world. This really felt like, yeah, it felt unreal. Um, that's wild. It's, maybe that's a positive coping. I don't know. I, I don't know. So I don't know if it, it is. Did, it did not work. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. <laughs> I, I continued so. having good try. Thoughts. Good try, right? And um, they eventually manifested themselves um, with a severe amount of alcoholism. Um, so upwards of probably eight to twelve drinks a day minimally. That's a lot. And it you got to think that's. 
I mean, eight to 12 drinks of what? Of alcohol? It's usually or... wine or some form of beer or something like that. So and I knew Mark when you had, you, I knew you when you had PTSD. I had no idea. Mark was always, now looking back, I think you, you appeared a little disheveled yeah. a little bit, right? Yeah. You're, you know, you're always kind of late a little bit because oh, you yeah. could be, but you yeah. always brought, you were so happy, man. Oh, yeah. You, you were such a funny guy. You weren't your typical ICU nurse. Yeah. And you're, you're also one of the smartest guys in the unit. Like, you're not just, that's just weird, though. Like, we're both funny and fun. But because of emotional trauma, I think that humor is one of the main things that we utilize for coping. Yeah, well, and then also I was I was taught well to have good workplace hygiene with my attitude. So no matter how I'm feeling, I, like I, I put a damn smile on my face because I put too. deodorant under my armpit so I don't smell bad. I, I like put that. a smile on my face yeah. so I don't have a sourpuss and make somebody feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, That's, because it's our job. <laughs> it's our job as a healthcare provider or nurse or whatever to be the this, the calm one to yeah. be the healthy one yeah. and that's why like we need to empower healthcare workers to to be healthy and take care of yourself you shouldn't be working seven days a week because there's so many healthcare workers that work every day and what happens is is you're not the you're not giving the best performance for the patient yeah it's a lose-lose right yeah like why do surgeons work 20 hours straight i don't want the surgeon at hour 20 no right no. i i get it thank <laughs> you for working hard but like, I don't want a pilot with no sleep. Yep. So why do surgeons have no sleep? Yeah. Isn't that odd? So, yeah, I think a lot of it branched off of the, the history of, of residency training for physicians where they, they were put to the fire, you know, expected to work 24, 48 hours straight at a time. It's the dogma. Of hours a week. Yeah. It's the dogma, a dogma and tradition. Just, and yeah. And, and to a degree, um, I could see how there's a little bit of... Um, you, you can build up some calluses and compensation for those deficits of being tired that normal there, people wouldn't have. I had a physician talk about that recently that some of that made sense. Uh, to he a was a surgeon. He's to a degree. Yes. That's, that's the thing. Um, but be chronically exhausting people no. is dumb. It, yeah. It'd be like saying, get on a treadmill for 12 hours a day, every day. No, and don't stop. Yeah. Just I, keep going. I didn't take a lunch for a year as my first year as a year nurse. I didn't know we were allowed to Two take a 30 minutes. ICU for me. Two years, you didn't take a lunch. So that means I gave 30 minutes to the patient. To the company too. Uh, to the company. <laughs> and we're not allowed to actually speak out and say we didn't because they forced us to take. Anyways, it was ridiculous. And it just sucked because I felt just guilty is why I didn't. Yeah. I felt guilty to let my team down, to not be out there. Yeah. To I came into work so emotionally exhausted. Uh, we had two years ago, we had such a heavy flu season. Oh, people don't know like when you say flu i remember that year when you yeah it was horrible dude uh when people say flu you don't understand the flu until you see a whole er of everyone dying of the flu like you don't understand how many deaths we had just two years ago i, I remember um, five coats in like two hours yeah i i, I realized and i was like this is pre-covid like yeah. the flu is not not a not a slight right the spanish flu killed 50 million people mm -hmm. like the flu is very very dangerous and i think that's something that's not being understood either but yeah so anyway sorry man it's I just, okay i just love these comments so yeah that that ptsd initially um manifested with alcoholism and then uh one of the biggest points that my, my therapist reminded me about recently um was that i had let my air conditioner in the apartment i was living in it died and i didn't report it at all no and oh, so wow. it's i think it died in like january or february but the fan still worked and so i would i just lay there naked drinking wine in my bed with a fan because it was hot is right? april yeah and uh and it would it would get up to you know, about 90 degrees in my room and i lived like that for a couple months um wow. until my therapist called me out for abusing myself i didn't even realize it i was so depressed 
Wow. I didn't even, I, I was unwilling to get an air conditioner fix that was causing me severe discomfort. And maybe that was the way to console myself out of those thoughts or yeah. to distract myself in a very negative manner. But mm -hmm. we don't always understand the things we're doing so um, when we're suffering really profoundly. Yeah. I would kill for physical pain versus emotional. Yeah. Um, that's why people cut. That's why people do things to harm. Mm -hmm. I, the only time I actually felt amazing was when someone was dying because it would finally take my thoughts away. It was really bizarre. I didn't mm -hmm. know. I've actually never really grieved uh, because every time someone died, I would be like, well, at least someday I'll have relief. <laughs> like that, that was my, my thought, thought. Yeah. and yeah. just like you thought of the alien ship. And um, I would think, well, in heaven, I, I don't think you can die again or whatever heaven is. But that, like, that's suffering, right? And you don't know this. You would see me on the outside, and, and now I don't suffer. I'm healed, but I don't. It's just sad to think of how many beautiful, wonderful, strong people. Um, I talked to someone recently that's suicidal. They called me, and they're actively su suicidal. And I, I like, talked to them, gave them recommendations as a friend. And uh, I don't know. It's really sad how many people are hurting, man. Like, yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah, mental health is really spiraling out of control. And we don't really talk about it. It's not out there in the zeitgeist. It's almost repressed a little bit. What's the zeitgeist? What's that? The zeitgeist is like the, the general... Um, oh, okay. General consensus. Consensus of yeah. what's, what's circulating around what's popular. Yeah. Um, and then in healthcare, like... So you had that one, that was the start of it? Was that the start of it? Was that was the start incident? of it. Was That's the root? Yeah, that was the yeah. root. And then I would see a lot of other horrific things too. Like I once watched a man vomit blood 15 feet before he died the next day in the ICU. Oh. And there's some decisions in his care that I always question too. Um, I wasn't the nurse, of course, at the time. But mm -hmm. yeah, so there's, there's you, you, we see a lot of things. Oh, well, another one that popped into my head um, at the burn unit of county. Um, have you oh. ever seen them do their work there? No, man. It's just, I, um, that shut it like off if you're one. queasy. Yeah, shut off the video if you're queasy. But um, yeah, I did a rotation through the surgical ward. And it, it's it's very nursing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it throws you off. Um, yeah, so the ICU or the ICU burn unit where they do surgeries there too. Um, they heat the room up to like 98-ish degrees, you know, because there's no subcutaneous fat layer with all the burned skin gone. They do repetitive. Oh, so they, yeah, they can get like a hypothermia yeah, yeah. really fast. Yeah, wow. so it's hot in there, which throws you off at, at the beginning. And then you're wearing full surgical stuff, sweating. Oh a little my bit. God, you're sweating hard. You're sweating hard. Mm -hmm. They like to play uh, like loud music <laughs> on the really? TV while they're doing the surgeries. Because it, it's probably a distraction. And honestly, when you see what they're doing, you could understand why. Because um, they'll take a device that looks just like a cheese grater. And on all that grafted skin or devitalized tissue, they just start grading. And they're pumping in liters of blood, like units, two, three units at a time. And sometimes they'll be given 10 units of blood. They're dousing the body. That's a lot, by the way. 10, 10 units, units of blood is, is, is a lot. Uh, <laughs> one person is low in blood, usually one unit is just one it's, bag. It's, so 10 units is 10 bags. And they're about 300 milliliters a piece. So that's about that's three liters of blood. That's, wow. a, that's, that's a lot. That's a significant amount. The most I've given is probably like three to four. I've rarely done upwards of eight units in the ICU. And that's rarely, ICU, that's the ICU, right? Unless you're a trauma nurse, maybe. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in these burn ICUs, they're taking cheese graters, they're bleeding a lot, they're dousing them with uh, saline with epinephrine in it to try to control bleeding. bleeding. And then the most curious part of it is they go over to the fridge, grab these um, skin grafts out of the fridge. And this is the part that really stood out to me. They're all different colors, right? because um, so are we uh, and so are all the donors and you know what we don't think about when we're grafting people to save their life 
what color graph do you put on? You become, uh, it's, it's a kind of beautiful and sentiment if you think about it, because they it's almost also, become a representation of, of all someone those else. people. Yeah. So what is what do the graphs look like? Um, so they're all fenestrated, which means like they have little honeycombs. And oh. yeah, they fenestrate them so that they can get more surface coverage with less tissue. Oh, maximize. Yeah. Because we have a problem with lack of donation. Yeah. Lack, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know if we have shortages in skin, but vital organs for sure. For sure. Circumstances yeah. Vital organs. But yeah, being an organ donor, a lot of times your organs won't be viable for donation, ex except for, you know, skin, eyes, that kind of skin stuff. and eyes. Mm -hmm. That's viable even to older age. So it's, it's a great thing to, to do. You could save people. Yeah. That organ donation is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we've gotten to see it in ICU actually. Yeah. Uh, organ patients. donation. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable what they do and how excited and it's a, it's a great, like if I lost a child or I lost someone else, I, you know, I would, if I was a parent, I would organ donation. It's, there's a lot of myths about it. It's not like we kill people to get organs. Okay, this isn't the movies, but it's an amazing like I don't know what you want to call it, but there's there's also a positive term for trauma. Yeah, have you heard about that? No, I look at myself as as being the phoenix through the ashes. There you go. So that that's how I visualize my life now and how I became who I am today. But there's a term for it. I, I gotta Google it now. But that's how I look at organ donation well i would see that happen in families too after they made the decision is hard there's crying they grieved as if they were grieving um and the person was already dead and technically they are they're clinically brain dead at that point that's why we're able that's to why yeah there's not a life at that point there's not, they're not ever coming we, we take a syringe full of ice water and shoot it into your ear and there's no <laughs> yes. response there's no response <laughs> there's i not mean, even I, muscle tone there's no nothing, nothing. and nothing. uh people keep these people alive and that's what your book's about is the yes. unethical things that are really hard to swallow like just emotionally like i don't know in the er a lot of things are very fast i'll bring up like just two incidents i've had uh when when you're done but sure um so that was at the start of your ptsd and how and you were coping with alcohol how 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 are you doing today today i'm doing better i still mm -hmm. do have a uh, depression and ptsd to a degree um i think my therapist is kind of sick of me <laughs> How long have you been with therapy? <laughs> Five years at least now. Now what keeps now, you- Now inconsistently, it's okay. not like I'm yeah, there yeah. every week. I've been cleared for months before. That's a long relationship though. Yeah. Like you, you build so much trust. Um, I've, you know, I've been to therapy. I don't go anymore because I'm done, right? My goal is to, to get better and move on. But what's hard is that when you build that relationship with a therapist, it took so much work and effort. Yeah. You know, and then it's not, you can talk about those things because that is the friend you need, mm -hmm. but also, does there become a point where do I need something different? You know, so it's something, yeah. to, it's something to battle. Well, that's yeah. a good question you brought up with me recently. Cause I had done the same for a while. And um, I think after about a year of therapy and six months on antidepressant, I was off the antidepressant and I was clear. And I don't think I had any more issues for about a year to a year and a half until I started at all in ICU yeah oh then you got to ICU and it, it peaked everything I, again yeah and so oh. there's things that can trigger that too um and then I got out of the ICU and I was doing really great for a year and in January of this year I don't know if I had told you but um I was the first responder to a motor vehicle versus pedestrian no yeah that was really that you was were just out and about I was going to work it was, oh. it was bad times man because oh. yeah I was <laughs> oh. working at a trauma center at the time 
and on my way to work and you know I'm, I'm driving down the street and I see all these cars stopped and I drive by slowly expecting to see the sirens you know I'm too late anyway I yeah yeah you want them to do their job yeah, that's they, what they do their yeah. job. there's none there though and there's a group uh, of people standing around a body so I go park real quick and all I had was a stethoscope and I run out there almost get hit by a car good thing I did scene safety right oh yeah scene <laughs> remember safety. scene safety oh, BSI <laughs> body substance isolation scene safety it's a, an EMT a training it's very important it actually it is out very important because my adrenaline was going yeah. I had my stethoscope and I was about to just run across the street mm -hmm. to the middle lane where this guy was hit by a car and you know what I didn't do I didn't and I said scene safety in my head. Yeah, so body like, substance you. isolation you got you know, gloves, right? Wear a mask, oh, whatever. I that. Yeah, and you have Hard. to in those situations, and uh, you know, mask or CPR, whatever. Um, but seeing safety, yeah, one of the biggest things is when you go to a first responder scene, you have to make sure that you're safe or you can't help yes. that. So that is really smart. It's so funny bringing that up. Yeah. So yeah, cross the street. Don't get hit by a car because of my training. Um, and the guys, you face down in a pool of blood. I can smell a little bit of alcohol. There's a wheelchair involved in the situation. Um, and uh the, the, you smelled the alcohol i could smell some alcohol oh, okay yeah it's pretty obvious right yeah i'm guessing he was drinking and crossing the street or something mm -hmm. and uh, again it doesn't take away from what happened no yeah. not at all yeah, I, so. it wasn't even a judgment of mine really it was a consideration of if it could affect his future care and if you know the mm -hmm. providers coming would need to know that yeah because um, what you want to know is anything that's pertinent to the care yeah yeah, yeah we, we, we want to know if he has like a chronic cirrhosis and a bleeding disorder and mm -hmm. you know maybe we don't want to anticoagulate him as we would as a first standard of care if you know you have some broken bones and stuff like that yeah that is an immobilization yeah, you see a big old belly you see cirrhosis yeah like, oh, so okay. you know it's just a small detail i noticed that was non-judgmental whatsoever um but yeah he's face down in a little pool of blood and uh, i could barely hear gurgling um, breath sounds and uh, the girl mm. in scrubs there, i think she was like a medical assistant for signal or something she she told me she had a faint radial pulse so it's like well i guess i gotta open his airway up so slid both my hands under his head to hold c-spine and yelled at some people to help turn him and we got him turned you know, almost 90 degrees right onto his side and mm -hmm. a bunch of blood came out of his mouth yeah because you want to let that out yeah it was occluding his airway there's too much blood in his mouth um, so that came out he was breathing they managed to tube him then they took him to the trauma center i was going to work a shift at where'd you what, what unit were you working at the time i was working the observation unit which oh, shares okay. double doors with the ed Oh, right. Yeah, because you go, trauma you go right next door. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, he, he expired 20 minutes after my shift started in the trauma unit. Mm -hmm. So that so touched off. That, my, that uh, hit you yeah. real hard. Another traumatic incident yeah. that, that, that spiked you. So how did you compensate after that? Or how did you cope? Alcohol again. Alcohol. And then going to What therapy. does alcohol do for you? <laughs> it's, it's nothing good, honestly. Um, we use it inappropriately because it's a depressant. So um, a lot of times people say, well, it stops the thoughts or it makes me feel better. It makes me go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But then you have a rebound of effect of it also hurting your life or yeah. you're hungover. I, I, I used to like, like that was another good feeling I used to love was being hungover because I was numb. Oh. Uh, so I used it too. I used to party a lot in my 20s. Yeah, things that hurt feel good. I uh, Anytime I broke up with a girlfriend, it would spike PTSD. Mm -hmm. And um, I had very unhealthy relationships and I feel bad for, sorry, my exes. Sorry, um, I was a mess. But um, it was a lot of PTSD. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I used to, the only time, actually the happiest time was when I was hungover because I could finally be okay. Yeah, like it was weird. It distracted me. I I would drink with the intention to be hungover. Interesting. So not not only a I got hypersexual. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know the science behind that. Because you're in your early twenties, I'm guessing. No, but when I'm 
when I'm hungover, I don't know what it is. I oh, become a different, even different man. I don't okay. know. And then, uh, then drinking, I, you know, it numbs you, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have social anxiety anymore. I, now I, I struggle to drink because I'm just so happy sober. So it's like, it's like, I don't want to be hungover because I, I can't, ma- I can't imagine wasting, you know, eight hours or having the pain of being hungover. Yeah. So yeah, I, I cope that way too. Nice. Yeah. So it was initially, um, yeah, alcohol and then back to therapy and uh, back on an SSRI, which I had stopped about a year prior to that. And that's, that's tough with SSRIs, right? Because it does have negative side there effects. There are side effects. Yeah. yeah. For males are generally sexual. Female too. It's just, females I don't, too, I don't sure. think it's noticed as much, mm-hmm. but I've met plenty not. of females. SSRI is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So we don't really know. We kind of know how they work. We used to think serotonin was the key to depression. It's really not. Mm. It's more complex than that, which I wish it was simple. Does it help? Uh, it, it can, for sure. Um, is it uh, overprescribed? Definitely. Oh. Is, it the, is it better to be off of it than on? Yes. But if you're you know, really at a tough spot, I mean, Zoloft helped me. Yeah. And I was on it for four months, got off. I had serotonin withdrawal syndrome. No one talks about Oh, wow. That was tough. Yeah, that was tough. How was it measured? Did they, they check your no, like I, level? Or no, just I just it? pushed through three weeks of wow. like dizziness, uh, brain zaps. I would walk around and I would get shocks in my head. Okay. Like I'd be at the hospital. I'd be, it hurt so bad. I'd be like, oh, what, oh. what the heck? And then I would, uh, and I titrated down. So I stepped down. And then, um, yeah, no one talks about that. So yeah, diarrhea, yeah. nausea, it was horrible. Yeah, a lot of people can't, can't stand them for the side effects. Yeah, that was coming off, I'm talking about. When I was on, I felt amazing. <laughs> so I loved being on because it numbed everything. Yeah, but I felt like it wasn't, down. it wasn't me. That's true, too, to a so, degree. But, so there's a place. There is. There's a place. So you did went back on the SSRI, and you went back to therapy. I did, and that's okay. been helping a lot. So where... So for me, I like to say my PTSD was cured. And it took a while to admit that because I was so scared of relapse. Um, I'm at the point where due to EMDR, I was like, God, something changed, something changed. And every day got better. And now it never was depression or anxiety. That that was the the tree branches. The tree root was actually the PTSD. Does that make sense? So I had all these affiliated, you know, symptoms that were, you know, sometimes somatic. I actually used to have back pain and that was trauma. So trauma can hold, uh, somatic meaning physical symptoms. I had oh, upper yes. right back pain burning. Yeah. And my EMDR got rid of that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I thought I had like nerve issues or yeah. something like, you know, some radiculopathy or something like that. But I was like, no, it was, it was trauma. Like yeah. it was, so we both bought on this, Mark. Well, all right. So um, one of my favorite scientists that, that gives assertions of this to, to explain to everybody, um, Stephen Porges studies polyvagal theory in mammals. And it, it, he's he shows and we've known it for a while we just don't talk about it that your emotions do innervate physical physical manifestations and specifically mm-hmm. with the vagal nerve um when you're excited about something your heart's fluttering it is it is indeed like you're ma- manifesting a physical change in the electricity flowing over your heart and the way it's pumping you might mm-hmm. even be fibrillating a little bit in yeah. a healthy manner though mm-hmm. which yogis can do too with breath control mm-hmm. um shout out to yogis right <laughs> yeah, good. Um, and then this vagus nerve, you know, travels all the way down to your anus and rectum. Um, 
And along the way, during with your digestive tract, you ever feel like you have a rock in your stomach, that sinking feeling that's so terrible? Well, it is your stomach peristalsing yeah. unconsciously by means of emotion you're feeling in your head translated through electricity to an organ. So there's wow. physical manifestations of our emotions all the time that can be beneficial, negative, yeah. always very interesting to me at least. Um, that's and, why I never liked mental health being separated from physical. It's, it's, it's all one. Yeah. And that's, that's what bothers me is like, oh, well, you're not a psychiatrist, so you don't understand. Well, you don't understand that health is the whole body. The body yes. wasn't built to be sliced into pieces. Yeah. Um, and we're understanding that more, right, Mark? But, so, yeah, it, it's, it's been one of the kinks for me in medicine I've always been really upset about is they talk to us about holism nonstop in our training. How many times did you hear about holism in nursing school or holistic medicine? Not much. I heard it nonstop. Personally. Oh, no, no, no. I meant what do you see in practice? Is what oh, what, what I oh, see in practice is yeah. nothing. We talk about it all the time. Yeah, nursing is all about the care model and all that kind they of want stuff. To like integrate your spirituality and culture. Yeah, and all yeah. Sorts that's, of that's good. Into medicine. Yeah, but, that's good. Um, in terms of holism, I, my physician and psychologist, uh, none, none of my primary care providers and my psychologists have ever communicated with each other once. That's, 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 that's they actually sad. rely on me to be the communication yeah. bridge between them. So I go to my therapist after, you know, I have bad PTSD and my therapist says, yeah, you should probably be back on your SSRI. Then I go to my PCP and tell him, yeah, my therapist said I should be back on my SSRI. Meanwhile, neither of them are talking with yeah. each other in, in making these medical decisions. For yeah, me. that is, um, and that's a big problem we're running into. That is a big problem. Uh, it's, and I don't like putting all the providers down either. Like they're doing what they were trained and what their exactly job what title is. And which, how you can bill and get reimbursed. Yeah, that's what it's about. And living. Because mm -hmm. otherwise you're asking them to cut out half their income to spend more time. Yeah, you, you get reimbursed for seeing patients. You don't get reimbursed for having healthy patients. You get reimbursed for just seeing as many patients Actually, as you, you can. Actually, you lose business when you have healthy mm -hmm. patients. If you no longer have your chronically ill patients coming into your office every three months for their refills, then where's your business going to be? And it's not to where the provider wants that chronic patient to not get no, better. Not they do. It's just the, the paradigm in how we're treated is to treat the tree branches of healthcare and not the root cause of issues. Yep. So with diabetes, we throw three medicines at you to keep that yep. in line instead of just reversing type two diabetes, which is 95% of diabetics right now. So it's frustrating. And as you're going to be a new NP, which you're going to be amazing, Mark. I and so. I hope someday we can, oh, who knows? Because we'll I'm together. In my first year as an NP, it's been unbelievable. It's been 10 times more than I thought it could be. I've had five to six, actually, and not to sound pretentious, I've had up to eight job offers, I think. Ooh, yeah, and I have true. three jobs right now with the fourth one potentially, and I'm starting my business in two months. Like, there is so much opportunity in the healthcare field to start a business, to help others. Like, what a better way to like give back and see people improve. Yeah. Like, that is so rewarding. That's what I'm, we all started this for. Exactly, in, in the healthcare field, even physicians, they, 95% of the time, have the right intention to help people. Yeah. They're burnt out. Yep. Um, physicians are being attacked. They're abused by their They're employers. completely abused by their employers. Yeah. You're, we're being managed. The healthcare providers, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, the physicians are being abused by the management, yep. by the healthcare organizations. Mm -hmm. um, we have a segment on healthcare abuse we talked about. I mean, there's so much stuff we can talk about. And it's just sad because there's so I didn't realize how many people really cared. Yeah. We, we do all really care, but we're, but Medicare literally has forced us into a checklist 
doctoring and nursing. Algorithm medicine, yeah. where we follow the checklist. You have abdominal pain, all right, it's time for a CDF work. CDF workup, we're gonna do a KUB and we're, we're gonna poke and prod and do everything else, maybe some new blood work. Instead of asking you, well, what did you eat? <laughs> Have you eaten? Yeah, you thirsty? Uh, that's what nursing does, right? That's yeah. what nursing does. So like the other day I had a patient that came in with chest discomfort. That's, you don't wanna hear that in an urgent care or ER. Mm -hmm. And they were young female, uh, 20s. So you're not thinking heart. So chest discomfort, I, I started talking to her. I feel like as I was a broken person, I'm what's called a wounded healer. I would say we both okay. are. Wounded healer, have you heard that term? Yeah. So I think we can, we can, I can feel when someone is emotionally hurting very quickly. And I can feel, I don't know what it is, but I walked in the room and the textbook will tell you not to do this, but I did it anyways, because I, I knew the patient needed this, is that she was very upset. I said, hey, you got a lot going on. She goes, yeah. And she started to kind of cry. And I said, do you need a hug? And she said, yes. And I just gave her a big endearing hug. Yeah. And she cried on my shoulder for a little bit. And I rubbed her back. And then I went through the whole scenario of talking to her, making sure it's not heart disease, anything like that. It's not actually chest pain or something like that. It's, she has so much going on at home and she's so stressed. She's not sleeping. She's, you know, she's a tough lady. I, I told her, like, I told her, you are a warrior for what you've been through. Yeah. And that was my 10 minute interaction. Yeah, and you compare that to checklist medicine, it would have been an EKG, maybe some troponins if you're in an acute care facility. Yeah, I didn't even have that. Um, yeah, um, you'll, yeah, you'll do your EKG, then maybe if when that comes back negative, you'll do a depression screen or refer her to a psychologist that's disconnected from you. And really, she needed a hug and somebody that she trusted to yeah, I, help her with I think going that on. interaction was just, just shows you, because um, I'm lucky to practice medicine how I see fit mm -hmm. um, within reason, right? I don't yes. practice to hurt people. I, I have liability and things like that, but mm -hmm. it is called practicing medicine because we can't textbook everything. Uh, we're trying to treat the body into boxes and put people into boxes. And that female, even though you saw chest discomfort, needed a hug, yeah. she needed love, yeah. you know, and she needed to know, hey, you're going through a tough time, yeah. like hang in there, it's gonna get better. And she needed to be told, like, I care about you. Yeah. And that's what nurses and nurse practitioners bring to the table. They don't teach that in medical school. They don't teach that in physician assistant school, not to attack them. They're just trained differently to treat the symptoms, treat the disease, yeah. and they're really good at it. Yeah. Right? Well, and here's how strange it is, too. I mean, there's, there's nothing, nobody would see any issue with me holding the hand of a dying person who's intubated in the ICU. It's almost really an expectation, right? Like, yeah, I should be there holding the hand as, I, as that person passes, especially if they're alone. Um, but if you go to an outpatient setting, so suddenly that's taboo. Like we're, we're trained that, yeah, you can't hug your patient. I, <laughs> I did. So I had five clinical rotations <laughs> as a nurse practitioner student where you learn most of everything. I was very fortunate to have an amazing experience. And what uh, I, I rotated with my buddy's wife, who she's from the Midwest, and she's such a sweetheart, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. She, she has the Midwest mom vibe. Aww. And... Her patients would wait an hour. Accent. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because she's from Wisconsin. Love Shout out to, it. I don't know if it's just her name, but Sarah Sanchik, she's amazing. I love <laughs> you. I wouldn't be an NP without her. She recommended me to go and said I, she precepted me. She was amazing. Oh, cool. Like she would see 20 patients a day, which doesn't sound like a super lot, but her, her visits were very in-depth, yeah. very caring. She spends, God, she cares so much. It's like 20 minutes of she was, time. She would hug the patient. She would do this. Like th that's not taught in school. No. I think, wow. Like that's what's separating. Like that's the family physician. 
Yeah, that's the family provider is the person that walks you through life. My personal PCP is a solo practitioner and, and he, dude, he spends two hours with me because I see him like once a year and he will just talk about me and life. Good. And he doesn't have to do that. Yeah. You know, cause he, he is, he's so busy, man. I feel so bad for him. He's managed practice with just him and an MA. That's it wow. for God, a long time. And he's such a whiz, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I used to come to him and it was PTSD and he didn't know. So he did more physical stuff, you know? And, and uh, that's not his fault. No. He, he tried his best. That wasn't the realm, right? It was, it was more emotional, mental. And um, God, Mark has been great. I, I could go on for hours. I how long have we been going? How long is it? I don't know. How do you tell? I don't know. I mean, it's 1030. How, how, long, how much longer do you have? Uh, yeah, 11 is fine. 11. Okay, hours. so we got a little bit. Can we, can we talk about what is keeping healthcare workers from having PTSD treated? I think a lot of it is a stigma. So you're embarrassed, right? That's, that's originally what my issue was. Um, and I was also worried there's, there's misconceptions that, um, that if you're on a, a psych medication, you're unqualified or unable to work. And I hate that. Yeah. I hate that. We give all these medicines to patients try not to be judgmental, but then for some reason, we're not supposed to be, we're supposed to be superhuman. Yeah, we're, we're supposed to be indestructible yeah. and not suffer any kind of mental health consequences, not have any real support from employers. Because we, we all got the, um, the platitudes in our, in our um, whenever we're being hired on for every hospital saying, we have counseling and help for you. We have uh, decompression and, and de-stressing and after a patient dies, we'll get together and have a talk. No, that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> I had, yeah, I don't, I've I had don't charge know. nurses ask me if I need a, a hug or to talk. But that's, you know, that's, that's five just, minutes. That's, that's not a nicety. Yeah, that's, that's just being beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that's the biggest barrier I've ever seen to treatment or actually us wanting to admit that we have it to one another too. Um, I, I, I know for a fact, dozens of my coworkers have had PTSD or severe depression with symptoms, but yeah. we, we can't really talk to each other about it. I'm not sure why. We're so but you don't you don't have the environment either. You're so busy. Yeah. When you when you have time to open up emotionally like that. Yeah. I don't know. Like. Well, and it's embarrassing to say too. You know, I reached depths where I laid on a bed naked in 90 degree heat for months, yeah, drinking wine, drinking wine, and doing horrible. nothing with my fucking life. Yeah. I mean, it was it was horribly depressive, yeah. and it's a it's a gross thing to think about if you're looking at me, I guess too. And it used to be a physique <laughs> bodybuilder. Life's like, not anymore. Yeah, and yeah. I love Mark. Nothing against him. He'll just admit it. But um, I yeah, I hyper focused on my physical body because I was so disgusted with myself. Okay. So I actually couldn't even walk in front of a mirror. Uh, it's almost like anorexic. Oh yeah, but in in the opposite. In, in a different. So I ended up doing steroids. I did pro hormones so many times. There you go. And, I felt so bad about my body, um, all of it, even though people would give me compliments and people would say, oh, you know, it was never enough. And um, yeah, I can walk in front of a mirror now and, and not and even okay. realize it's a mirror. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't even you're look okay at a mirror. Loving yourself. Mm -hmm. and that was from being bullied probably in third, fourth grade. It was horrible. Yeah, so we don't talk about these gross and really intimate manifestations of, um, Especially as men, too. No, Especially man, men. we're supposed to be stronger. Yeah, because I'm, I'm still a strong man. You're still a strong man, but like we're so. also emotionally vulnerable, yep. which is what this podcast is about and what we're trying to push because that's why you're writing your book. That's why you're, you know, this, this, these messages need to get passed on. Yeah. They need to be heard. I, well, I want my son to have, you know, the mental fortitude yeah. that, that he understands when something traumatic happens to him or he sees and can recognize when he's walking down a depressive road and needs some help or needs to talk or express it. 
and a lot of it, you know, probably would just go away with early recognition of symptoms, identification yeah. of what's going on before very, it gets worse, right? Yeah, and very mild interventions, maybe breathing exercises, exercise, mm-hmm. or diet. or like a early intervention of therapy. Therapy's yeah, gotten better. Talk therapy, uh, counseling, or, or crisis counseling has gotten really good. Oh really? I mean, yeah. So crisis counseling is great uh, if it gets if it intervenes very fast. I actually have a crisis counselor I'm going to have on this. Nice. Um, the Child Crisis Center of Arizona just interviewed the CEO, and a lot of it's getting intervention in right away. Good. So if you get it within the first couple of days, you're able to. That's what it. I had read. Is yeah, with new newly acquired trauma, early and hard trauma intervention in the first few days to weeks does way better. Wonders. Yeah, really? and it prevents. So when you have I mean, we have so many traumas that are going on left and right, day in, day out. I could just imagine, like, um, let's say Sandy Hook, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the school that the kids were shot. I cannot imagine uh, that pain. And you have crisis counselors, which God love them. I and mean, they're amazing. They go in there right away to, to help. You can't take all that pain away. No. You're going to have pain for life. But what you can do is, is you can find, and I guess we'll have a crisis counselor to talk, but we need to have, like, that intervention right then before yeah. it turns from a, a category four storm to mm-hmm. a massive hurricane. Yeah, it's triage. We, yeah. And we don't apply the same triage principles to psychiatric emergencies no. as we do to normal medicine. Our, our basic approach is just a, a blunt tipped hammer and it's, hey, uh, oh, you're suicidal, you got a plan. All right, now you're gonna be on hold for you know, 48, 72 hours. We're gonna have somebody come and consult with you. And then we're just gonna release you. and you know, here's, here's some medications and please follow up. So I went to a psychiatrist one time and I paid cash because I was so desperate after I got off steroids and my hormones were way down. It was horrible. Um, again, it was about body image, not feeling good about myself. And, uh, anyways, I, I went to her, drove all the way out, uh, like an hour and 15 minutes away, saw her, didn't, didn't appointment. She just gave me a box of samples. It was an SNRI that's expensive and new. Um, she gave me Ativan and she gave me, uh, Ambien. So she gave me three Two things. Benzos. Yeah, she gave me right away. And I didn't have trouble scary. sleeping. So sleeping was an issue. Oh I go, I go, I'm depressed. I just want something. All I need was Olaf. And oh I uh god. oh my god, that was my that was my four hundred dollars. And four hundred dollars to see her and cash because she can charge that. And I go, that was such a horrible experience. The girl I was dating at the time knew a lot about psychics. She's like, no, just call her back and get Zola. She's like, it's cheap, it's generic. This medicine was like $300 or something stupid. And I'm like, she's just get Zoloft yeah. is $4 well, for surgery. Why start on an NSRI if you're not responsive I, to SSRI? Well, I didn't start that. Or that was my first. like a no. bipolar disorder diagnosis or anything? No, no, no. So I, I was just depressed at the time. Okay. So I was just severely depressed. And I, she throws me on this sample box yeah. of medicine that a rep uh, gave her. And I go, are you serious? And yeah. I spent $400 for 45 minutes. Yeah. Like That's modern what, medicine. That's, that's what, what happened. Is, yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, never saw her again. Yep. And I took Zola for four months, got off. Uh, anyways, I did keto carnivore-ish. I felt a lot better. Well, thank God you didn't fall into a benzo problem. No, I, I don't. I didn't like it. I never took Ambien because I didn't have issues. I didn't want to. It's a hypnotic, right? It has hypnotic they effects. They can be amnesic depending oh. on dosing as they can yeah. be sedative. These are uh, heavy, heavy drugs. Dangerous. Benzos are very dangerous. And all I need was Zola. And, uh, and, and sertraline, actually, if you're going to use one, like it's pretty well documented, a lot of research on it, it's cheap. And uh, so that was my experience. Yeah. That was my experience. Yeah. But um, 
God, dude, it, this has been an amazing podcast. Yeah. I just can't say that enough. We were just talking about, because we're, we're building a studio upstairs, and Mark has so many things going on, and we, we as uh, just nurses, and we can relate to our experiences, and this is therapy. It is. Like, this is literally therapy, because I knew Mark well before when my PTSD was out of control, and yeah. when you said you had PTSD, it made me relate to you, and I felt yeah. better, because I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Yeah, you're not you're not broken or some some strange you know malady on yeah i just thought something was just, so wrong yeah with me. yeah you just and, think it's uh, inherent you're flawed and there's nothing to do about it yeah i looked at myself disgusted for so yeah. long physically emotionally mentally for so long and you know i'm a i'm a decent looking man but and i'm lucky for my genetics and i get compliments and whatever you but take care of yourself yeah i take care of myself thing. but what i'm saying is like i don't look at myself like a movie star i'm not a calvin klein model i'm have a nice haircut but I mean, I'm not a Calvin Klein model. I'm not that beautiful, but you're more I, like a Hanes. Like a Hanes, <laughs> <laughs> or like a like a fruit of the loom, model. like a club soda model. Like you know, oh, what yeah, I mean? yeah, like yeah. yeah, generic. You can do generic sodas. Oh, uh, generic sodas. I but I it was I didn't even understand how much PTSD controlled my life because I didn't even understand the symptoms or what these thoughts were. I just thought that's how people thought. Yeah. I was like, I would just have these disturbing thoughts all the time, yeah. and I couldn't watch a movie without them. You know, I go through periods of time like you have that you felt okay. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm doing okay, but I can't put a pinpoint on what's going on. And I found an amazing therapist at DMDR. It was it saved my life. It was amazing. Um, I recommend it to anybody. Hypnosis, another one. What what interventions are out there for PTSD? Let's talk about that. Well, you know more about all these alternative interventions. I like the alternative ones. You want me to bring some up? Just some. I'll quick, do the, quick tips. the small bit I know because you know you, you, you I only know cognitive behavioral therapy really okay and there's different there's several different forms of talk therapy but cognitive behavioral therapy is just a way of reshaping your thoughts and beliefs basically mm -hmm. um and a therapist is supposed to help you do that on your own not not the other they don't tell you what to do no they no no, no. they say they help you they empower you answers. they empower yeah. you so if you ever find yourself with a therapist telling you what to do or why you're wrong then they're probably not a good therapist not good not good I um i also think i needed big change in my life yeah so the way i work is i want change and i want to feel it i don't want a 10-month program yeah i signed up for functional medicine it was going to be fourteen thousand dollars to learn how to make kale shakes and she said she could fix me because i have mold and lyme issue lyme? so like lyme disease yes did she test you no she oh, just said she just that's you had spirochetes based on how you looked. I don't know. And I'm not trying, I'm just telling you that's how desperate <laughs> I was. I paid for it. And then I freaked out, said, let me do EMDR and let me see if that helps. And mm -hmm. it ended up being just EMDR. She also said EMDR would not fix me. It's all mold and lime. And I go, well, how do you know I was exposed to mold and lime? I'm from Arizona. The construction's pretty new. Where did I get exposed to mold and where was I bitten by a tick for lime? Well, the only argument I could hear is maybe coccidiomycosis in terms of mold, but it's a misnomer for fungus. It's valley fever, yeah. fungal infection so, of the lungs. You could make that presumption, but we could test for it too. Yeah. <laughs> we can do some basic diagnostics. So I was going to get some life coaching out of it. I, and I was very disappointed. And when I paid for EMDR, I paid a lot of money too, but it was well worth it. It was worth $100,000. So I, I, if anyone's interested, please reach out to me. My therapist is amazing. I did what's called intensive EMDR. That's uh, like it took like six sessions to come up with a game plan. You need to come up with a game plan. Like what traumas are we targeting and why? Okay. Um, uh, then I did two eight hour sessions back to back days. Yeah. So the thing about EMDR is that you tap into your subconscious, right? Your subconscious is where all the damage and the pain is. That's where your subconscious is imagery. 
and subconscious is becoming more of a, a modality to intervene with in the Western medicine world, which is amazing, right? So subconscious is when you're driving and you forget how you got there, yeah. right? So conscious is driving, but the subconscious is your, all your thoughts during driving, yeah. right? My subconscious is constantly going, all of ours is, right? Mm -hmm. it, it runs a lot faster than our conscious, but it, it runs with imagery. So when you have a traumatic incident, it is implanted in your brain. So with me, I had six, six traumatic events to, to rewire six yeah. and i've only talked about three or four so i'm just telling you you don't realize what was traumatizing i, I think we've both been through a lot oh, yeah. right would you say we've um, been through a lot um not any more than other people or any less but we've been through a lot and to validate that's important but the thing that i needed was the eight hours back-to-back -back days to work on it because it's like it's kind of like it's kind of like uh when you're getting a boat started with a paddle mm -hmm. you know it takes effort so if you do one 90 minute session once a week which is covered by insurance if you get a provider that will take that um you're not getting the traction it just drifts you just drift for me we made work in two eight hours days got to the end i only did eight hours and six the next day because i felt nice. I, I just couldn't emotionally handle anymore sure and then i just i healed and then i did hypnosis recently which just sealed it on top to heal severe bullying i didn't even know was actually yeah. there um but so you have EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. You have ketamine drips, which are amazing right now. You have psychedelics, which are coming out. You have yeah. mushrooms, which is psilocybin, yeah. MDMA, LSD. You have ayahuasca. Um, all of this is to get to the subconscious and work on that. Uh, a lot of the time you need what's called a shaman or a professional because you can't fix yourself. Um, even though Mark and I are very smart people and we know what to do, you need someone with you, especially oh, yeah. being a healthcare provider, because we can't be objective with ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And oh, I didn't absolutely. know that. That was a pride point for me. Oh, yeah. Like I thought, oh, I could fix myself. I've read so many books. Look at his books everywhere. It's yeah. all it's all power of the mind. Mm -hmm. And no matter what I read, I mean, it 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 uh, it would help for a bit, but it never cured me until I did one of those one of those modalities. Yeah. Yeah. So, isn't it interesting that you know humans require other humans in order to heal we were built to have connection yeah. not not the type of connection like the connection we had this morning mark made my day for the rest of the day and stoked all day. yeah all day and um this was therapy i didn't have to pay for uh therapy is a friend therapy yeah. is a person you can confide in uh you need to have connection because we are more connected in unhealthy ways uh but we are missing the connections i'd rather have five really good connections than have a thousand like i do on facebook or five thousand friends i have on facebook like i'd rather have five good connections than that i'd rather come over and see you today than be on facebook me, looking at your life me too man because I think that's I, what we're missing you know what's funny too is what what did you say when you first saw me today oh oh all right i i'm gonna paint the picture yeah so I please paint. so I, I come over i've never been to frank's house before so I, I drive on up i'm coming around the corner and he's like he, he texts me earlier saying oh yeah man i'll be in the garage and so come around the corner and as i'm driving by i look and i just see this man that's shirtless in shorts with a uh what is it what kind of bar is that called oh it's just a barbell like a, barbe a barbell with big old weights on it what like 90 pounds total Oh, the total weight of the bar. Yeah, like 90 pounds. It wasn't that it's probably heavy. Just chugging it, 
down to your freaking driveway from your garage. And I just looked and I just started laughing hysterically because I, I waved and I was like, that's the most Frank thing that I could ever feel like. Go to see Frank. There he is just yeah, hitting like some kind of workout. That's me. When I have these videos, people wonder how I am. Like if I get famous, I don't care. It, it, like I'm just going to be me for the rest of my life. It's the only way to live is just be yourself. Up, and I've been that way since I was a kid. And, um, even more so now that I'm healed, but yeah, that, that's what I do. Like yeah. people wonder why, like, oh, why does your body look good? Well, I do stuff like that. And I, I love physical feats. I think you used to, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I still enjoy. You were a physique bodybuilder. There's yeah. more than me. Yeah, I was, I was, I was uh, doing okay to that. But if you're doing physique, that's that's not easy. Like no, you're no, talking no, about counting calories and, and macros, and I was hungry all oh, the time. Yeah, no, I'm not that dedicated. I, yeah. I, Lift weights like three hours a day, at least six ways a week. You're like, a stud. Oh, You're it, was, savage. it was intense back then. Yeah, I don't have the, I never had the drive to do that because I don't see the benefit, right? Like there's so many people it in that world. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, I could see it. I looked maybe, great. Yeah. The pictures are cool to show people. Yeah, I have some <laughs> decent pictures. But yeah, I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm okay. Um, I'm lean and, and strong, so I stay that way. It's the way my body is more maintained. But um, God, it's nice to have a decent body image. It is. It is it's good weird, to feel man. good about yourself. Yeah, not overly though. I'm not narcissistic or anything, but it's it's good to love yourself a bit. Yeah, especially not to hate on yourself. That's what's hard. Is I hated myself so much. Yeah, don't hate on yourself. You don't even have to love yourself. Just don't. Just yeah, just don't, don't hate. Don't hate. Like I was just angry with myself. Yeah. And that drove me to do these things and created me who I am. But you don't understand that I couldn't take a compliment. Now I can take compliments mm-hmm. a little bit better. Yeah. Again, it's more about what I think, but I. Man, I, I, I literally, it didn't matter. You could have eight women in a world tell me I'm hung as a horse and I'm, well, I'm not hung as a horse. That'd be gross. Why would you want to be like that? But what I'm saying is, you know, they could give me these, uh, they, they give you the, these bunch of compliments, right? It could be about my, you know, my genitals being great and my, I'm trying to think of a funny Why do you keep talking that. about genitals? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just to, I'm just trying to paint a picture of, you know, like a woman could say something and give yeah. you a bunch of things. But it was never enough. For That's me. true. And never. Yeah. Like I was never strong enough. I was never lean enough. I was never big enough. You know, like it didn't matter. The, a woman would say you're smart, blah blah blah, and it just never resonated with. But me. you're not Chris Pratt, right? Yeah, I like. And he said that's totally like a nice guy, right? To. Yeah, that's yeah. what we all look up to. These these movie stars. Yeah, the that movie stars that are live a life that affords them unrealistic expectations. And, and also, they they do a lot of modulating in the actual imagery now too. So they'll, they'll add in your abs. Or There's a body imaging crisis uh, in the country, and a lot of it's actually in males as well. It's not talked oh, about yeah. with young boys. Uh, we are expected to be over six foot tall, which we can't control. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I am. Thank goodness. But. I mean, like if you're five ten, you're still tall. Yeah. You know, like, and then you're supposed to be six foot tall, uh, big and strong yeah. and lean. Yeah. Be a nice guy. Be hung as a horse, and be wealthy. Um, be wealthy. Wealthy, wealthy is the and, biggest part, actually. And be able to cry during a movie. Yeah. And I go, you tell me where that man exists, <laughs> because that six year old boy you have is being told over and over and over again that that's what you need to be, yeah, you to be and you can't strong. be. Yeah, you can't be Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then be the Notebook. Yeah, like you know, it's not it's not possible to do both. How know? fun would that be if they made that movie though? Oh, Arnold <laughs> Schwarzenegger and Gold's Gym. Could you imagine just crying yeah. with just, a girl? Just, oh, no, did you, not, babies don't drink milk. Or what did you say? What is famous <laughs> stuff? Arnold. Oh my God, Arnold used to be cool before he's a sellout. But yeah, he uh, 
and not the greatest husband, obviously banging his maid, but I mean, maybe they're open. I don't know. I don't know the relationship, but I, I don't think so. Questionable life choices. Questionable life choices, Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> politician. Um, man. So PTSD, there's a bunch of new things that are coming out that are exciting. You know, there's medicines. Uh, I used to work as a psychiatric nurse. So I saw a lot of PTSD and a lot of it, what's nice is non-pharmacological. So yes. I used to have, a, I remember this guy who just now that my brain's unleashed, I just remember these memories. I, I had a poor memory too. Oh. I couldn't remember stuff. Yeah. yeah, from the past at all. Like I'm like, now my brain is remembering. I think it's healing. Awesome. I think new neural pathways are being created. Sure. And that's what we found out too, is the brain can even grow in- structures all the time. All the time, even at eight in your eighties, it can, mm -hmm. right? So with neurotropics and things like that. But in cog cognitive training, which we're doing now, uh, the brain is almost like a muscle. You need to train it. You need to train it right? Yeah. Train, train, train. And uh, this guy had severe PTSD, emotional PTSD. And the only thing that calmed him down was a tape recorder of Russian orchestra. Okay. So he Good. would, and if he did it, he would fight you. So we, we let him have it because in the psych unit, you weren't allowed to have anything. They could sure. strangle themselves or yeah. wasn't fair, but we had to come up with a, a situation um, where that was okay because it wasn't worth the outcome of fighting him. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Well, I had a lady that uh, was allowed three ounces of wine when she would freak out, and it worked. Well, good. That's not that much, anyways. Three ounces. Three ounces is yeah. It's yeah. not bad. It's about yeah. a glass of wine. I, I think you have to understand that we need to be. I've been saying this over and over, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop this message. Is to continue empathy. So continue. Always trying to have an empathetic uh, viewpoint. I think as nurses in our background is that we were taught to do that. You know, we're yeah. always taught to hold their hand, to give them a hug, mm -hmm. to be there for them. It was actually over the top, I thought. But it, honestly, now I'm grateful for it because they talk about nursing caring theory, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, whatever. I wanted to more, know more science. But I think that instilled that sometimes instead of them giving them a muscle relaxer for their neck pain for three days, maybe they just need a pillow. Yeah. You know, and maybe they just need to talk to you because a lot of things they bring up are not the real problem why they're there. Yeah. And I would see that all the time at the emergency room, the urgent care. Um, even in the hospital, they may have a wound or something. Yes, I get it. We have something we can treat with antibiotics and good treatment methods in America. We have good acute care medicine and really poor chronic care medicine. Yeah. The best acute care in the world oh, and yeah. the worst chronic care. Yeah, if you're in an emergency, you, you want to be in America, be please, because yeah, we but have if the you best. You want to thrive and live a long, prolific, healthy life and be wealthy be and way. pay for doctors on the yes. side. That's the only way, or right? Or go to Europe. They've got a lot of alternative medicine strategies. They do. They employ there because of their socialistic system and the cost reduction. And the way medicine is going to adapt is through innovation. And when you talk about my company, again, it's cash-based because insurance dictates too much of my care. It would yeah. raise my cost. It would also impede on how I treat people. Yes. So the thing about insurance is it's dictated by guidelines and algorithms mm -hmm. and puts everyone in boxes. And sometimes what that does is it puts us providers in roles to where we don't actually get to help the patient. If you want to know how powerful insurance is, um, I believe in 2017, a 17-year-old girl with a seizure disorder she's had forever forever, been on the same prescribed drugs, had it controlled, at least, I want to say 10 years, minimum 10 years, if not longer, went to fill her prescription with her state-funded health care, and the insurance provider on this occasion decided they need prior authorization, so she couldn't get her, yeah, seizure medicine that she had been filling continuously, the algorithm changed 
the Medicare algorithm changed saying that we want more documentation from your physician so you can have this medicine that's been working for you. And what we're going to do is not give it to you until your physician contacts this pharmacist. And she died two days later. Of, of a seizure? Medication. Of a seizure? Yes. Oh my God. That, this is that happens all the, all time. the time. This is how powerful insurance companies are and how much they've reached into physicians' pockets, their prescription pads, their ability to practice, um, and even what kind of scans, labs you want to run, um, how you want to identify or treat something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's greed. It's greed. It's, you know, even some things were good intention, but you know, practicing medicine is called practicing medicine yeah. for a reason. Yeah. And when you start taking away the relationship between the provider and the patient, you, you are not, it's commercialized medicine is where we're at. Ethically, we're moving from autonomy to justice as the primary form of what we're deciding to do. So we, instead of having the autonomy to practice on your own and do what you want to do, um, you have to weigh that against the justice of standards of care, Medicare guidelines, best practice guidelines, and what insurance will even reimburse you for. So it completely erodes the autonomy mm -hmm. of a provider and, and likewise of the patient too, because now the patient's denied those options as well. Yeah, I they lose their own autonomy to their insurance provider. We've got so many episodes to talk about. But to, so, to wrap up PTSD for healthcare workers is first of all, recognize the signs and symptoms, right? There's a long lengthy list. Recognize that even though they're mild, if you can improve those, you're gonna be a better provider, better nurse, better uh, tech, better CNA, oh, yeah. better physician, better PA, and don't be scared of it. Cause if you need people to talk to, you can reach out to Mark or me. Yeah. Um, you know, we care about other people. Healthcare workers are, gonna, are near and dear to our heart because we are one and we know what you're going through. Um, right now, COVID has struck healthcare hard because if you're an ICU nurse all you're seeing is death every day and it's brutal you know and like if you're working at Home Depot you're, you're not seeing COVID like not the bad side no. right um, even me in the urgent care I'm not seeing the bad side I send you to the ER and hope for the best but I you know in the in the ICU you're seeing those ICU warriors you know shout out to all my ICU folk you know the marks out there Angela's in our, 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 I love you Angela she's listening uh, she's amazing uh, Anthony uh, he, he uh, was one of the hosts of the show and he's a buddy of mine. He's seen a lot. Like it's, it's just, there's so many warriors out there that need a hug. Man. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot more that are going to be suffering from this entire pandemic and the situations yeah. they're in. So we all need to know what we're looking for, what to look out for and when a friend needs a hug or maybe a recommendation. Yeah. Sometimes recommendation, a lot of times just listening is really important. And I have helps, to learn that. Helps um, so much. Now talking about, where you can reach us. Well, first of all, let's talk about, so when does your book come out? Is there a time to No, I, I, I'm halfway through editing it. So Okay, and can't then, wait to read it. Then I have to shop it to publishers. Yeah, I'll send it to you cool. soon. Cool, I'm excited, so I'll read it. And then, so um, I just like physical it. books, as you can see. It's like, I, I don't blame you. I just, there's yeah. something different. I don't like looking at my like phone. hardcover books. Me too, hardcover books. Physical. I'll pay the money for it. I do the same. Yeah. And I buy the audio book, so I don't have to read it. <laughs> so my bookshelf looks exquisite right i still get the knowledge in a palatable yeah i love it i want a whole library of books like that's what i collect i don't collect shot glasses or something i just want books and i have a bunch yeah um many leather bound books yeah and then uh so we can we got that going on we got also you're a writer as well yeah okay um which i've read one of your articles it's very well written i mean you're very very uh 
talented in that. So, and then uh, for Jack, let's just talk about Jack. So just yes. a couple dudes. We got three products initially. One is the, the shirts are gonna be great. The mugs are fan actually fantastic. We're, we're gonna have two new logos coming out. So I'm really excited about that. And then we have um, the third is a, uh, a gift box. It's really cool that Eric actually created. It's super cool, man. Like he is, he, Eric is so good at creativity with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like he's very fashionable. All right. I just feel like if you, if you have abs, you can just rock around, rock around shirtless. That's how I am. Okay. I'm like, I'm a surfer guy. Sure. Part, you yeah. know, be comfortable. I had, I just got into clothes the last five years. I'm like, oh, I should not buy Goodwill stuff. I, I used to shop Goodwill yeah, nonstop. Me, me that too. was my favorite thing because they have so many different styles and it's, yeah, dirt, it's cheap, dirt cheap and you'll and always find your size yeah. and all of your sizes yeah. are right there. My mom dressed me growing up because I never yeah. cared. I just wanted bright colors. There you go. And yeah. I was like, well, I like bright shirts. Like, so we, we need fashionable, trendy guys like yeah, Eric. Because so. I'm not good at it. Me neither. Yeah. So we got that. And then we got um, www.jackedpod.com is the website. That's how you get to our store. All, we're on six different uh podcast platform six we have the youtube channel what else we got going on the instagram the facebook yeah we're on podbean stitcher google apple that's four what are those two iheart radio and uh another one like twitch or something dang another one yeah it's a lot yeah swap it's a swap (laughs) i like i use big terms (laughs) so you can reach us on all those i don't know when this episode is coming out but big things are happening podcast studio is going to be up soon uh we're brainstorming that we are Again, when we have a, a purchase, so like a mug, uh, out of every profit dollar, 33% goes to a foundation. And we research these foundations. So one, we're linking up with St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Another is with uh, the Child Crisis of Arizona. Uh, that's an amazing organization. I have that episode with the CEO coming out soon as well. should be out before this episode. And I think we can take a little bit from green business where you're building something, but you're also giving back. Because if that's a win-win for everybody, because if I can, if I can support a business locally, I will pay extra money. It's yeah. not, it's not about getting the cheapest dirt, you know, cheaper than dirt things. So I buy something from China. Mm-hmm. I'd rather buy something from my neighbor that's starting a business. Oh, you could find high quality stuff too. Some yeah. of the best cheese I've ever had. Can I shout out one? Yeah. Roby Dairy in Glendale. Oh, you know stop it. Too. I know the Roby's. I know. We talked oh, about I love them. I don't know the Roby's, but I go to I know the Brett. farmer's market at Roadrunner Park every weekend oh i haven't gone recently but they sell roby cheese there they're great people by the way their cheese is amazing very they have humble. to be good people very humble like that yeah brett's a brett's an ox he actually invited me to, i went to his wedding him and his nice. him and stephanie beautiful couple beautiful people um he's an ox dude yeah. he's a farm boy he's like six yeah, four yeah. just an animal like <laughs> makes me feel like i'm like did you ever take anything no milk from the cow you know like <laughs> that's what brett is and uh i could have him on because they actually travel to like china and all over the world uh to talk about farming techniques and things like See, that and look what you find like you you go for something that's local and you yeah. find a whole you, su- new you support world them and, uh, and to be part of it yeah so i mean thank you so much for coming on i want to bring up one quote do you have a quote you want to bring up do you, i know you're a quote guy are oh, you am i a quote guy uh, is there a quote that comes to mind or should i uh i think you should do the quote of the day okay i'm trying let's I, do a quote of the day a while to remember so one. quote of the day i always have to write it down i like apple notes are amazing iphone notes so a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. Beautifully said. George Patton. Beautifully General. said. Um, so true too. Leary death, by the way. But I just want to say, when you think about that, I'm doing a lot right now, the podcast, my business and life. Um, I can second guess things, but I really can't. You just have to do it. Uh, the only failure is not trying. So if my podcast and my business fail, at least I said at the end of the day, I tried. 
And that's, that's the only failure I will not accept. So I hope that people understand that I'm genuine. I am the, the lovey-dovey guy that works out in between my condos <laughs> with my shirt off and whatever, that's me at eight in the morning. But, um, and we're genuine, we're here to help people. We're here to push a good message. So we appreciate anything. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's gonna be big. And the quality is gonna get better as we upgrade some equipment, so. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks, thanks for being on. Thank you for tuning in to another can't-miss episode of Just a Couple Dudes or Jacked Podcast. We're new on Twitter, so please give us a follow at at J-A-K-D-Pod. On Instagram, you can follow us at J-A-K-D underscore podcast. And we have a new YouTube channel set up at Just a Couple Dudes, and that's couple with a K. We also have a website, J-A-K-D-P-O-D.com, with a new store set up where you can check out our merch and other fun items that we're going to be putting up. So please give us a follow, check out our website, and tune in for the next podcast that we'll be releasing shortly. Thanks. Welcome to the Jack Podcast, where real men are allowed to cry.